0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Billy West Live. It's a great pleasure to welcome Liz Merle, candidate for attorney general for the state of Louisiana. Liz, thanks for joining us on Billy West Live.
1: Thanks, Billy. It's great to be here.
0: Well, Liz, I understand you're a native of Lafayette. You decided to run for attorney general for the state of Louisiana. Tell the voters in Louisiana why. Why are you running for attorney general?
1: You know, I've been working in the attorney general's office for the last eight years, but before that, I've been practicing over 30 and I'm just passionate about defending the people of our state and defending the Constitution. It's basically what I've done for my whole career. And uh, having been in the job that I'm in now, I'm the Solicitor General, so I, I devote most of my time to defending the constitutionality of our statutes against attacks by um, by anybody, and um, and defending our sov- our sovereign right to govern ourselves. Um, under the state and federal constitution. So I defend us against federal overreach, too.
0: Well, it's interesting. As a lawyer, you know, everybody aspires to argue in front of the Supreme Court. You've had that privilege and pleasure. Talk talk about that experience.
1: So really pretty extraordinary when I think about it. Um, I've argued there five times now. Uh, Two of those times were over the phone, Mm -hmm. which was very unusual. I mean, ordinarily you're in court at the podium, and I've done that three times. And uh, you know, I never would have thought in my career that I would argue at the United States Supreme Court. It's just not not a place I ever really imagined I would stand. But the job that I have as Solicitor General um, has, you know, afforded me the privilege of being able to do that. And um, so it's really pretty amazing. I mean, the first time you do it, you're scared to death. Um, but by the fifth time you do it, you're starting to get some sea legs.
0: Sure. It, it, it's an intimidating place. My, my nephew worked there for years until only three or four years ago, and I've visited him no, a number of times. But as a lawyer, you just get chills going in there. It's it's a fascinating, empowering building to be in, but that has to be uh, one of the great experiences of your career. Now, as you talk about Attorney General, one of the things in criminal justice, all the things we're all concerned about is crime. Talk to our, our listeners and voters in Louisiana about The crime problem, it's just exacerbating. We've got this problem. What's your vision? How do we tackle these things?
1: You know, I think we have to tackle them from a lot of different directions, for starters. I mean, the attorney general's office prosecutes criminals. Mm -hmm. We take recusals from the district attorneys around the state. We're not original jurisdiction prosecutors. Um, and we have a, a Bureau of Investigation, which is kind of a group of detectives. We also have a Fugitive Apprehension Unit, and we have a unit that uh, that is very per, has a very particular skill set um, with regard to cybercrime and, and and in particular child pornography. And so those that's an important part of what we do that serves the state as a whole. And I think you know, from our office right now and the work that we do there, we, we serve the whole state, and we're going to continue to serve the state to fight crime. I think the bigger the bigger issue requires us to come together and look at multiple solutions. That means DAs prosecuting crime. that means uh, not putting juveniles out on the street when they are repeat offenders. Um, we see, if you look at really closely at some of these statistics, you'll see that it's a very small percentage of offenders or or individuals who are engaging in repeat activity. So we really do have to look at bail, we have to look at juvenile justice and juvenile crime and and what look at all potential solutions for interdicting that behavior and keeping those keeping those people off the street if they are just engaging in repeat behavior cuz you just don't want a small group of people to be driving the worst outcomes in our state.
0: Well, and we had you mentioned bail. You know, pretrial detention especially for juveniles, huge problem here in North Central Louisiana. We have no beds and we've got some 14, 16, 17-year-olds uh, who have committed violent crimes and they're immediately released. Those are challenges at the a facility in Red River Parish. We just don't have but two beds for Nackish Parish. So, where do we get the funding? How, how, what's your thoughts about going to the legislature? How do we fund more money for juvenile justice?
1: Well, we absolutely need to do that. We need to go. We need to all get behind funding for juvenile justice. I think that uh, I think what everybody I don't know anybody who wants to see somebody spend their life in prison. You know, I mean, sure. I, you, you, we need consequences and we need accountability for criminal activity. And I, and and but I think that it is sad when you see a young person who ends up on a trajectory that keeps them going from juven, a juvenile facility into an adult facility and never really, um, never really turning their life around. And so, you know, that juvenile justice facilities are supposed to be where we make that happen. Um you know, it is harder when you've got 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds in a facility with a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old. Right. And so I, I am in favor of separating those groups. Um, I'm in favor of separating uh, separating them by violent crimes. I don't think we need violent right. – cr- juveniles who are committing violent crimes um, need to be dealt with in a number of ways. Um, I'm also favoring – I also favor – Increasing the the uh, limit on juvenile life, which means we can, if they've committed murder, for example, we can keep them in a facility longer, even if they were adjudicated as a delinquent. And I think we need to be able to do that to be able to try and get people to turn their life around.
0: Well, as you say, every citizen, it's easy to commit to being tougher on crime. We all want more safe communities. And New Orleans, the challenge there, Shreveport—I mean, just the challenge in these cities are just immense. But how do we get our legislature to fund that? Those are real challenges. Those That'll be on your plate if you're attorney general. How do we get them to focus on it and then commit the dollars to it to help do some of the things you're talking about? How do we do it?
1: Well, we start by funding beds. Right. Um, I think we look at the beds. We look at how we need to separate them by age and by crime, you know, by behavior. I mean, it's behavioral, you know, when you've sure. got these facilities where they're attacking guards or they're attacking the the people who serve in those facilities, then you can't teach. You can't have a classroom situation. I mean, it's our obligation, our constitutional obligation um, in a juvenile facility is to provide services. We've got to have classrooms. Uh, We've got to teach them. We've got to try and get them to go to school. I mean, if they are in a residential facility we still have to provide them with health care with education with counseling with a lot more than say if they were an inmate at Angola Um, so you know we've got to look at how we're how what do we need to do to be able to deliver those services and that means we've got to look at their behavior in the facility and if we need to separate people who are troublemakers from people who aren't then we need to do that you know we just I don't I know that, you know, it does take money. Like, it takes money to be able to solve these problems. It does.
0: And the only reason I press you on the question, and I'm not sure there's a good answer, so I'm not suggesting there has to be an answer to the question, but, you know, everybody's for fighting crime. But when you go to those legislators and say, okay, I need $600 million to fund juvenile justice, where are they going to find the money? They need to commit to it because they're all giving these speeches. But how are we going to solve that financial part of the puzzle?
1: Well, we have, we have some money now that, that everybody's down there right now in session trying yeah. to figure out how to divvy it up. Um, but it's you know.
0: non-recurring. So those, those are part of the challenges with that. Because I had Gabe Furman on and we talked to our state representative from local about just that issue, Liz. How do we get them to fund it year to year?
1: You know, that, that always comes up. But I think that building a building can still be used as a non, that's still a non-recurring expense. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, once you build a building, you're not going to build it three times. It's That's a non-recurring expense. So, you know, I've been round and round and round for the last 15 years in my practice. I worked in the governor's office for six years. Two of those were in the commissioner's office where I was the executive counsel to the commissioner drafting the executive budget. Um, I think that there's probably more confusion built around non-recurring revenue than, um, than there needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we have more ability to use that money. Um, we have a lot of money that's locked down in statutory dedications. We, right. we should have more ability to move that money. Back when I was in working in the general administration, there was you know, great um, distress over sweeps. So the the governor was coming in and sweeping money out of statutory dedications and putting that into the state general fund the, was it the governor the governor did that in the executive budget the legislature did it by alleged legislative action that's how it ends up in the final budget so the governor doesn't approve the final budget the legislature does right. so they ultimately were agreeing with this recommendation and they were sweeping money to get to be able to fund other operations of government there's nothing constitutionally wrong with doing that. It just it just upsets people that have lobbied the legislature to get their statutory dedications in place and now that money is being moved from one thing to the other. But there's over time you get a lot of statutory dedications, you get you get constitutional dedications and now money is locked down for all these individual little things and you don't have any money in the general fund to be able to fund these other needs. And so we end up with healthcare care and higher ed and just a certain right. limited number of things that are always on the chopping block.
0: And that, that's a really a constitutional problem we have in the state with dedicated funds and always going to higher education to fund uh, yeah. other things and cutting higher ed yeah. and cutting even lower education, secondary education issues. But those are real challenges. I appreciate you try answering those questions and explaining your views about how, how you would attack the problem. But immense problems that we have on our hands, and they're only getting worse. So I'm, I'm glad to see you're going to tackle those problems with some, some ideas and bring some new things to the fore. Now, as Solicitor General, talk to our listeners specifically about the, the responsibilities of Solicitor General for the state of Louisiana.
1: So it's a new it's a new position to the state of Louisiana. Uh, Jeff Landry, when he was elected attorney general, had made a commitment to create the office of the solicitor general, and he did that. Uh, many many other states already had that office. Uh, about I think at the time, probably twenty seven did. Now I'm not sure there's any any state attorney general's office that doesn't have someone who is a dedicated solicitor general for mm-hmm. the state through their attorney general's office. Um, it, it's a great way to sort of have somebody whose job it is, is to really watch out for the state's sovereign interest as it relates to federal government action. Um, also to kind of monitor what's happening with, at the Supreme Court with your state, because things bubble up there from a lot of different places. Um, and then just in the federal courts generally to have some consistent representation in the federal courts, um, both in criminal and civil Uh, matter. So I've, I've assisted the DAs in over 200 cases before the United States Supreme Court, and I think that's one of the value adds that the office that the Solicitor General can bring to everyone. I mean, the district attorneys have, they have to prosecute criminals. That's their first obligation, and Um, And I think that that these are sometimes cases that go for a very long time through the appellate process and they may come back. They always come back up again in federal court later. And so we need to be watching what's happening to. Um, in the federal courts because that drives outcomes across the whole state and really across three states when you think about the Fifth Circuit applying to Mississippi, right. Louisiana, and Texas.
0: Right. Liz, it's uh, great to get to meet you. Liz Murrell, candidate for attorney general. How can our listeners contact your campaign, contribute to your campaign? What, what are the contact information, your website information for listeners So I out
1: there? have a website. The website is www.liz, and it's the number four, la.com so liz4la.com and that's that's the website and everything is there you can you can find out more about me and my background and uh and also reach out and um, get get involved with the campaign.
0: Well, that's great. Well, it's great to get to meet you. We'll have you back on as the summer progresses and as the campaign gets hotter, because it will. uh, But it's great to meet you, and and it's great that you're here in north central Louisiana and joining us on Billy West Live. Liz Burrell, thank you so much for joining us today on Billy West Live. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Liz.